This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this fine Friday morning, this rainy Friday morning here in the South Bay by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I I'm exceptionally well. There are so many good things this morning, Dave. One thing so, that it's raining so in Southern things. California. Yeah, <laughs> we love it. Yeah, I, I mean, I won't, you know, my actual lawn is going to get some water. Yeah, it's kind of when amazing. it's gray in L.A., I sure like it that way. Ah, look at you. Wow, yeah. you just, you, you like are a walking Dr. Seuss. Yeah, that's what I do. Um, so many other things. Basketball team. I think we overall can be excited about a double-digit win on the road in in uh, in the conference, and sure. there's a lot of exciting things going on with football. And I'm not just saying that. Uh, this is going to be a big broadcast. For one thing, we got a lot of information, so it's going to be long, big, <laughs> but it's going to be big, as in big, big, like big information too. There's been a major breakthrough when it comes to NIL. Let's say. So let's let's talk about basketball first, though. Let's talk about basketball first. So last night, uh, UCLA hoops um, went on the road and beat Stanford in the opener for conference play, which I think if you're just, you know, start there, that's really good. You want to start with a win, and it's a double-digit win on the road against a talented Stanford team. If you just looked at the box score, you'd come away going, wow, that's great. Right. Um, we don't just we don't do that. Uh, we, we watch the games. We watch the basketball games. That's and so there were a lot of other things involved in this double digit win uh, that are worth discussing. But just, you know, start at the 10,000 foot view. N- nice win. You know, it's it's however you get there. It's good to get there. Um, but there was a lot um, watching the game that you would have come away with uh, some some mild concerns. Um I'd, uh, yeah, I'd like to start with the post, just generally. Um, so right now, UCLA is running a, <clears throat> I mean, mostly a two-person rotation, but Mac Etienne is playing the occasional spot minute here and there. And the fundamental problem I have with what they're doing is that none of these guys are rebounding um, at all. I, and I... So Adem Bona is the biggest issue right now. Um, and he's the good news is he's a freshman who's obviously still swimming. The bad news is he's a freshman who's obviously still swimming. And you never know quite when a freshman is going to break out or if they will. But his rebounding rate is below Amari Bailey's and David Singleton's on the defensive end. And it's not all that much better on the offensive end. Uh, he seems to be really struggling with, um, the functions of boxing guys out, um, the necessity of it, um, you know, the the idea that he needs to box out so other guys can get rebounds. Um, just there's a lot that seems to be missing um, from what he is doing, especially on the defensive glass. 
And then when you add to that, his backup, his primary backup right now, and I don't think there's any question about this, is Kenneth Nwuba, um, who played 17 minutes in the game last night. And and I, I touched on this in my review, but I don't want to sit here like um, critiquing Kenneth Nwuba's play because he shouldn't be having to play 17 minutes a game. Um, like that's, that's the thing where I'm like, uh, you know, it feels almost like you're, you know... Um, not quite, but like denigrating a walk-on who's playing in football. It's like, eh, you know, they're trying their best, but um, he's just, you know, I, I think the reality is uh, if this UCLA team is going to reach its potential, he he can't play that much. Um, and so it becomes important for Mac Etienne uh, to play more, but he's obviously still working his way back from injury. So there's a there is a complicated nut to crack there at the five for me, Tracy. Yeah, that's a complicated nut. Dave. Yes. Um, are we still doing from 10,000 feet or are we like really drilling down? No, I was getting more into the drilling down. I okay. haven't yet um, gone like bunker buster, but you know, <laughs> go as far as you want. We're going to keep that, that like world war two bombing terminology yeah. going on. Um, I, I, I look at it this way. There are really two things that Mick Cronin in his coaching, his in-game coaching, uh, I think needs to improve. And let, let's just say that he recognizes it too. If you watch the post-game video, he blamed himself for not playing his bench enough. That is that is a lot of it. Uh, that's one of the main things. At the end of the game, Tiger Campbell is making some mind-blowing mind-numbing mistakes that are unlike Tiger Campbell. And we can only chalk this up to fatigue. Not just, I mean, this is all cumulative fatigue. Not just, how many minutes did he play? 37? Something yeah, like 37, uh, 36. Uh, 36. 37. So for, that's uh, tiring of anyone. But he's been here a long time. He's been playing these types of games at this school for Mick Cronin. And it all wears on you and... I think it really came to a head at the end of the game. He was making some just bonehead plays. Um, he needs to play 33 minutes, right? 30 to 33. Well, and so to add to that, it's not just the minutes. Uh, I think his... Well, well his... yeah, that's where I was going. Yeah. So, okay. so it's fatigue. It's Mick Cronin being able to use his bench. Yeah. Um, and let's just let's just talk about that a bit. Dylan Andrews is a very viable option. Obviously, yes. He's he's um, a solid defensive player, not only on the ball, but if you watch him, he plays good help defense, good team defense. Um, his turnover per f like forty minutes is one of the. It's right next to uh, Singleton. Yeah, and like three times better than Tiger Campbell at this point. He's not going to turn over the ball. Um. You can see from his stroke, he's a good shooter. He's only hit one three, but that's going to come along with more playing time. He's also been uh, second best on the team at drawing fouls, yes. shooting fouls. He is a guy that needs to get on the court. Um, he needs to take at least a few of those minutes. Uh, Abramo Zonka... Um, to me is another guy who can absolutely give you three or four more minutes 
per game. He's playing great defense. There were a thing he did last night, a couple of things, where he looked beastly as a that, defender. That one-man press for just the wow. one stretch was really awesome. Plays his ass off, um, is a good rebounder, would help on that front. He is fourth, just to give some context for what Tracy is saying, he is yes. fourth right now on the team in offensive rebounding rate behind Adembona, Mac Etienne, and Jalen Clark. So everyone, yeah, who are big rebounders, or should be, um, these are the viable options for the bench. Uh, he, Mick Cronin has recognized it, but I, I, I hear what people are saying on the forum, and I tend to agree. He has said this before, and it's, you know, when you're in therapy, don't they say the, the biggest thing is just recognizing the issue? And, and Mick Cronin has done that, but now he has to execute it. Yep. It's in that game saying to yourself, I need to do this rather than the way you're going. And this game was the easiest opportunity. You had probably the best 10 minutes to start this game that I can ever remember. I mean, I was going to tweet out and I try to reverse mojo it. And I, there's no there's no way to manipulate mojo, Dave, you know. Um, really the best 10 minutes. You're up by 21 points. Mm-hmm. This is the time right there to give Dylan Andrews and, and Zonka and your, your bench a lot of minutes. Because maybe they can lose that lead down to 14, 15. But that, that is the time. Um, did it a little, but not, but not enough. So there is the bench. Now I'm going up to the, the second part. We've seen this that Mick Cronin tends to like to play his warrior guys. Um, the guys that have proven over years that they are the hard-nosed, hard workers, tough-minded guys. You know, that's Cody Riley, right? Played Cody Riley over Miles Johnson last year, uh, which we all questioned at the time. And I think it was a legitimate question. I, I think that's the little bit of an element that's going on with Mac Etienne, too, uh, that he hasn't won over the warrior status yet with Mick Cronin. Can I give you some Mac Etienne stats, everyone? Go. All right, so ignore the shooting because that basically it was one really bad game and then otherwise he's shot fine. Uh, he leads the team in offensive rebounding rate and it's not close, like not even remotely close. He leads the team in defensive rebounding rate a hair above Jalen Clark. Uh, he is, and this is a bit of a shocker, Far and away, the best shot blocker so far through the first six, well, the six games that he's played. And yeah, it's in limited minutes, but you can see it on the floor. Like if you watch the game last night, in six minutes, he had three rebounds. And there was that one really nice defensive rebound where he like full on jumped out of his area out to go get area. the ball. Yep. yep. Um, he's He's got, and that was evident when he was a, basically a senior in high school, still playing, you know, playing college ball. Um, he was, he was good at rebounding even as a, you know, less than true freshman. Um, and he obviously has those instincts in a way that Bona's going to have to learn them because he doesn't have them. Uh, Etienne has that natural nose for the ball. It's not quite Jalen Clark-esque, but it's not, it's not that dissimilar. He knows where the ball is going to carry him and he goes and gets it. Now Uh, there might be an issue that he still, I mean, his body isn't all the way back from the injury. He might be a little tentative about the knee. I, I think Cronin said he had plantar fascia in his foot, too. I think that's how you pronounce it. 
Sure. Uh, not a doctor. You crushed uh, it. Uh, so there's that element too, but the overview is Mac Eddian has to be able to supply you. I'll even say 13, 14, 15 minutes of solid backup post play by March. Here's my big statement or this team ain't going nowhere. Exactly. <laughs> that was a double negative. No. But. And this is, this is part of my, and this is kind of like throwing down the gauntlet a little bit because I, I don't feel like it was December when we were saying this, but it was probably mid-January when we, when at least I, I don't, well, I think we were both, but the Miles Johnson-Cody Riley split needed to change. Um, and I think if you're looking at this team, it's even more stark. And it's not because Etienne is so good, and this is where, again, I don't want to denigrate um, Nawuba that much, but it's because th- there's such a considerable drop-off there. Um, and... I, you know, right now, Nawuba is playing. I mean, he's playing about the minutes that Miles Johnson was for a good stretch of last year. And it's just, it's, it's nowhere near as effective. I mean, his, his rebounding numbers are pretty bad for a post. He doesn't block shots. Um, and this is the thing about Eddie, like you said, his freshman year where he was really a senior, 2020, where he was really a senior in high school age, we've seen him do pretty well. He played pretty well during that season before. Yeah, no, I think yeah. at the end, if you can develop him, he's there. Yeah, he he's a, at least a, a solid backup post player on in the Pac-12, on the Power 6 level, right? Yeah. Um, that has to happen. I, I can't see a, a path. Even if a Dembona comes around uh, and starts being more productive and efficient with his time on the court, he, you're still not going to get more than 22 minutes out of him. You're just not. He He's just going to keep fouling. He, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, a lot further away from that. He'll be able to rebound. He'll be able to block out. He'll be able to do a lot more of that. But to not foul and stay in any longer than 23 24 minutes is a bridge too far so you need a post backup without a post backup i don't see how this team gets anywhere when it actually starts playing good d1 teams yeah so that's that's the multi-phase uh uh thing that has to happen for this for this team I, i it's bench and being able to play guys that aren't on the warrior list. It, it's, it's, you make one turnover, one bad, and you get, and you get taken out. Yeah, uh, and what's Coach Cronin's got to get over that. What's interesting about the Cronin trust thing is that I think there are, I don't know if it's three or four guys, because you could talk to me either way about Singleton, um, but Hawkes, Campbell, and kind of surprisingly Bailey, I think are all in the circle of trust. Um, where they get, you know, they get to play through real significant mistakes. Um, and I don't, and I don't know that Clark's in there. I don't know that any of the posts are in, in there. I just think the, the Nwuba thing is just, they've seen him longer. Um, but that, that circle of trust needs to expand this season just with the nature of desperation. (laughs) Yeah. Just with the nature of how many different guys have to be integrated who you haven't really 
you haven't really seen them play all that much basketball. Like, yeah. you know, Andrews and Zonka, you don't know what they are. Bona, you don't know who he is. At the end, to an extent, you don't really know what he is. But you've got to, um, you have to roll with a couple of mistakes. I mean, the the at the end one was I thought really interesting because last night it was he was pulled right after setting a screen, which I thought was like a it was bang bang, um, and it was like okay, he got a foul on that one. But he's also setting much better and much more effective screens than either of the other two posts. So what do you do there? Do you do you pull him, or do you bring him over to talk to him and say, "Hey, they're calling this one weirdly tight now in the second half, so you've got to get out there more earlier, or don't set the screen at all." Um, but it, it just you know, it, that's an opportunity, you know, theoretically to you know do the coaching up thing rather than the pull thing. Because you don't really have a Cody Riley or a Miles Johnson to send in there. You've got three questionable guys right now. So I get questions personally. <clears throat> How did we get a roster like this? And it's it's really interesting if you really go back and, and think about how this happened. A confluence um, of circumstances. It really was. Most of it were guys not making a decision on whether they were turning until very late. Bef- uh, and... Cronin was then unable to go to the transfer portal. Uh, I, I mean, if I'm not wrong, didn't um, Juzang, Miles Johnson, they all didn't decide until late April. Uh, yeah, until well uh, after Miles, the yeah, yeah, Miles' announcement wasn't until like the 28th of April. Jules Bernard wasn't until June. Cody Riley wasn't until well after Miles. And, and the big one really was, was Jules because yep. they thought they could have anticipated some of those guys are not going. They, it wasn't sure about Miles Johnson, but Johnny Juzang, okay, was going. Almost pretty certain Cody Riley was going to go. 50 50 on Miles Johnson, but the indications they were getting from Jules Bernard was that he was coming back. And that wasn't made until June 1st. They were two scholarships. They have two scholarships open. Uh, Miles Johnson and Jules Bernard choose to come back. Dang. <laughs> that's all I can say. Dang. That's that's a heck of a roster, but it leaves them at a hole. So Cronin scrambles. Really hard to find a, a transfer at that point. He goes international. Abramo Zonka, he brings in. Then he has two other guys lined up. And UCLA... Ad- uh, academic committee uh, doesn't admit them. Uh, so yeah, let's a confluence of blame also. Yeah, no, um, and it's it, and that's where it's it's just kind of unfortunate. Um, and, and let's let's be let's be frank about what this is now. Uh, it's uh, there's a post. His name's Ege Demir. That's how we've decided to pronounce it. He has a chance of coming in after fall quarter, which would be mid December. Yeah, it's the Etienne plan. Yeah, exactly. Um, Good student, good grades. Uh, The transcripts are all fine. It's um, an English proficiency exam. It's called... Uh, Don't get me started on this. The TOEFL, (laughs) which is basically the test of English as a foreign language. UCLA standards are way high, like ridiculously high compared to, let's say, Harvard. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous stuff that you do to somebody who like I think you have to guess he speaks two languages at least four, I think in four. addition to English. Four. Uh it's ridiculous. 
And, and a lot of it from what I think and from what I've heard, it's an overreaction to remember a few years ago there was a scandal. UCLA always overreacts to any kind of scandals um, of international um, students, Chinese students who had gamed the system on how to pass that test and were cheating. There was a guy who was paying people to go in and take the test for them. So UCLA has overreacted with ridiculously high standards to pass that test. Um, and this is where we are. At yeah. this point, uh, you know, I've always been an advocate that I like upholding UCLA's academic standards. A- absolutely. But this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is this is borderline xenophobic. This is, uh, yes. R- ridiculous. Um, given that he's an excellent student, um, I, I'm hoping this can be that this isn't going to be the case within a couple of weeks and we're going to see him on the roster. Yeah, and that would obviously go along. I mean, we don't we've, we've seen a little bit of him, but, you know, proof is in the pudding once they arrive on the campus. But uh, adding another body at the very least to this rotation and uh, again, not trying to get into denigrating Kenneth Nwuba, but another guy who can potentially jump ahead there. Um would be beneficial. Um, I think, you know, the, this is something I was saying last year, but Miles Johnson, um, losing him from last year's roster was just a significant major blow. Um, you know, if you add him to this group, I think, you know, you give Bona somebody to kind of study under from like a defensive standpoint. Um, but you also just have somebody in there who can play 20 minutes a game at minimum, of really good defensive basketball, which would change so many different things because I think Bona, and maybe he's going to get there. We'll see. Um, but he's not providing that um, interior presence that we were expecting. And he's not on the court enough really to do it. But also, even when he is, he's swimming. I mean, just so much of this looks like it's you know going a million miles per hour in his mind. And that'll slow down from at some point. It's just a question of whether it's going to happen at UCLA. Um, my my biggest disappointment, and I'm a little stunned by it, is how poorly he's rebounding. We've yeah. talked a lot about it, but th- that's stunning to me. Zero rebounds in 15 minutes last night. Yep. On either side of the court. Yeah, and last night I think it was pretty clearly and obviously his worst game so far. Um, he just he couldn't get in a rhythm. He seemed to be getting very frustrated with the fouls um, to the point where he was like, even talking to the other guys on, you know, he's talking to, I think, Campbell and Hawkes maybe, where he was like, what are they, what are they calling on me? And they're like, no, that's a foul. You can't, can't, you know, jump in to another guy when you're trying to rebound. Um, so it, I mean, that's going to be a work in progress. We'll see how it goes. Um, I do want to like, you know, we're talking a bunch of uh, negativity. Um, Amari Bailey had seven turnovers last night, but I thought he played on balance a pretty good game, which is a weird thing to say about somebody who had seven turnovers. But the first half, that was a really, really nice performance from him. Um, you know, he had three turnovers. Three of those turnovers were in the first half, but they were all like kind of aggressive, good turnovers, you know, trying to make something happen. He shot the ball well. And what I've been impressed by with him is uh, the defensive effort. Um, just he's really seemed to have bought in on that end. He's also uh, actually defensive rebounding, actually boxing out. Um, I would say from like a, this is kind of a crazy thing to say, but I think from a consistent effort standpoint, mm-hmm. he might be number one on the team. I was right about now. to say that he, he's more bought in. He's more bought in than some of the veterans on the team. <laughs> he's more bought in than both of the seniors. I think right now, 
And this is my thing on Bailey. He's exactly where I thought he'd be. Yeah. Maybe that he would have delivered a little bit more by now, but we can see who he is. And I'm telling you, you're still scratching the surface with him from what I've seen of him as a prospect in high school. But this is this is the learning curve. This is the arc he's going to take. Um, I I think we'll see in Pac-12 play that he's going to be able to do what he did last night in the first half and dominate dominate this level of opponent. The question will be for him is when he in the tournament, if they get that far and they're going up, they're playing for an elite eight or something. Will he be able? to do it against a, a truly elite opponent. And whether at this point we saw what he did in Vegas and you'd say no, but maybe by March he can. Um, so that's that's my thing for him. He's still, I just have to say, he's still just scratching the surface of what I saw of him as a prospect. Um, but I, I, that first half, yeah, that... Uh, everyone that that was a great first even after they had a letdown defensively it was still overall a a great first half well it was i mean it was um it was, the first 10 minutes were all defense fueling offense and then the offense was like extremely unselfish but also guys just you know picking their spots perfectly like bailey was you know when he could take his guy off the dribble, he did with ease. There was that coast-to-coast coast off the defensive rebound where he just looked just gliding down the floor. Um, and then, um, but even once the defense kind of faltered, it was still just beautiful ball movement, hit the open shot, you know, the whole thing. Um, and then, you know, fell apart a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, that first half was, uh, was really fun to watch. Um, so, hey, again, going back to the top, the top point, the uh the you know the 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 highlight item they won by 14 and there's a lot to critique yeah, it's not so bad that's amazing though it really yeah. is uh, i mean i i was probably off base to think that stanford given its talent would be in the top half of the conference this year you always got to remember jared haas is their coach damn man they i mean they have talent they should be much better than they are yeah, they've just got one of the worst coaches in the league. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you I've know that they have been. Do you know that they have been for one, two, three, four, five, six, six straight years under Haas? They have been in the bottom quartile nationally in turnover rate. Wow, nationally. Now this is that's among this like a is bunch of like a generalization Sun Belt conference teams and crap. Big generalization, but should Stanford players ever be in the lower <laughs> tier of turnover rate? I think it's because they just have never had good guards under him. Like it's like they just decide, no, we're not going to recruit any point guards. Yeah, it's not going to have them. Yeah, we don't believe in them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So at the top of all this, I teased everyone by saying there was a breakthrough in NIL. So I'm, I'm pivoting, Dave. 
Pivot. Uh, I think we covered basketball well enough, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so like we're to moving. think of you as a big pivot. I think you actually should play the post. <laughs> uh, no, I was a point guard. Well, I'm sure you got down into the post, played a little bully ball. Even I love passing the ball. That was that was the most fun. Yeah, yeah, I could post up people, yeah. but I was a point guard. Uh, so nil, um, nil. There's been a breakthrough. I'd call it a a relative breakthrough. Um, I would say overall, the headline is that the football program is going to be more. Uh, I'm, I'm selecting my words carefully, more receptive and more supportive and the athletic department toward an NIL program supporting the f- uh, football program. Um, kind of huge. And it's kind of a, it's kind of hard to describe how it happened. Another situation that was a confluence, I'd say. Um, a lot of things coming together that had happened. Um, mostly that there, I mean, I'll say it mostly that there was an example of a very strong NIL program for basketball, which was the bro supported men of Westwood doing it successfully, doing it right, doing it with the program's support, uh, doing it with donors that chose to help the basketball program, just everything being done right with UCLA compliance, with everything. That's kind of set an example that the UCLA administration has seen that this can be done right and adhere to NCAA rules. And uh, there, there is now more of an opportunity with the football program and its NIL collective. Uh, I'd say the football program is where before it they didn't want to even have their hands on it or be supportive of it in any way. That's changed. Uh, I'd say um, the athletic department and the un- uh, the administration is now far more supportive. Uh, spearheaded a lot by donors, but also by some key personnel in the athletic department who have now at this point recognized that this needs to be done to be competitive and viable in college football. It's going to have to happen. And there's a way to do it, uh, given an example of men of Westwood and basketball, to do it within NCAA rules that are just have no teeth anyway. Um, so this is all, this is all good news. Uh, UCLA will draw a line. I, I mean, the whole pay for play thing is an issue. I can tell you there are recruits that are, as soon as they talk to a coach, they say, what kind of, first thing they say, recruits and their parents, what kind of deal can you get me in NIL? And a vast majority of the programs are saying, we can get you this, boom. And actually put it down in writing and everything. And that's pay for play and that's illegal by NCAA rules. Now, whether the NCAA is going to ever be able to follow up on that investigatively is, I mean, come on, no way, given what's happening, the widespread uh, actions that are happening along these lines across college football. So UCLA, with deserves respect, is not going to do that. 
But when the player and the family now ask, UCLA can will now be able to say that once you're here and you're on our roster, um, you will be able. We're, we're not going to put it down in writing. We're not going to commit, but we will say you will be able to earn this because this is what we're doing in NIL. And that's a big distinction. Um, and that's a big development for UCLA. And I can tell you literally in the last day or two, it's been a significant element in the recruitment of a big time high school player. I can't say who it is yet. And I'm sorry. I thought about whether I should mention that this is happening, but there is a possibility that UCLA will get an elite high school player and the new NIL um, approach here has been a huge factor. So pretty, pretty amazing actual news. And there's going to be so much more uh, coming out probably um, in the next day or so, or even, you know, and definitely longer term, but the headline UCLA football is, is now going to be supportive of a donor NIL program in a way that it, it wasn't before. And it could impact recruiting in a major way. So it, it, obviously uh, UCLA fans hearing that, you should be very, very excited, especially with the Big Ten on the horizon. Um, to stay competitive in recruiting, to stay competitive in that league with, you know, it's not just going to be dealing with USC and then to a lesser extent Oregon as a talent-rich program. You're also dealing with Ohio State Penn State and Michigan um, being being competitive in the marketplace, which is what it is, uh, is hugely, hugely important. And I know when NIL first started getting bandied about, a lot of uh, UCLA fans expressed trepidation that UCLA will eventually get there, but it might be years and taking a lot of lumps before they get there. Um, this hopefully is the sign of, okay, maybe a year into it, but not too far down the line, UCLA is actually going to be in the right position. And, you know, they might not be spending $7 million a year on a player, but nobody should be doing that. And it's very stupid. Um, yeah, they'll never get to the point where, you know, they're spending an average of 500000 to a million dollars a year for 25 players. That's that's not going to happen. No, but for the right guys, for the necessary pieces. Right. And for the uh, right positions, quarterback, yeah. running back, you know, left tackle, uh, defensive lineman, a cornerback. For the right positions and the right players, it looks like there's a chance that UCLA will be able to be competitive. Yeah. And that's huge. That's huge. Um it's also huge that the football program, I've heard two things lately about the football program and meaning Chip Kelly also signing, signing off on this, on the NIL when resistant before, and then also getting, uh, uh, let's say a good salary cap for a potential defensive, defensive coordinator. Um, uh, I had heard anywhere from one million to one point five possible if if that defensive coordinator is worthy of that kind of money that that's now feasible where it wasn't before 
Um, Bill McGovern was getting 900,000, I think. Um, and I'm resistant to talk about this just because Bill McGovern is still the defense coordinator. Uh, we've talked about uh, that he has a medical situation that more than likely, almost certainly will not allow him to return. Um, so that's kind of where that is being put delicately. But those are two big things when it comes to Chip Kelly's program. Yeah. Uh, now, now whether he will, Dave, actually go out and find someone for $1.5 million who's a really dynamic defensive coordinator, I, I mean, we do know here's the history. Last year, he did go out to try to find a, a guy uh, like an up-and-coming hot NFL guy that he had connections with, and, he, and it didn't happen. You and thought he, he was hot? <laughs> and he ended up with Bill McGovern. Didn't want to say it that way, but that's who he ended up getting. Uh, so there is there is a history of him doing this. And it, more than likely, the MO, it's he'll go out to try to find someone that he knows, but maybe shooting a, a little bit higher now. Um, I would still like to see a defense coordinator that has right now recently been really good in college. Yeah, right. agreed. Somebody who's at the cutting edge because I think offense has changed so rapidly that if you are not, um, I don't know, uh, coming up with it, you know, kind of uh, seeing what all these different offenses are doing, it can be very difficult to adjust your style to it. And I will say this about McGovern. When he was calling the defense, when he was preparing the game plans, when he was involved, this defense did look better. Um, so I do want to just Give a, give a shout-out to Bill McGovern, um, who's obviously going through a tough time. But um, it certainly looked better when he was um, able to participate. Um, someone brought this up on the forum, and I, I had just been talking to someone about it, about this one candidate. His name's uh, Ryan Walters. He's defensive coordinator at Illinois. Uh, I think he's 37 years old. Has put together in a couple of years the be one of the best defenses at Illinois, where you don't get a lot of talent uh, in the country. Top five defense in the country. Um, he's a head coach. He's a future head coach. Within, I'd say it's going to happen sooner than later. Really, if you watch some of his YouTube interviews, brilliant guy. Uh, he's from Southern California. Grew up here. Played at Colorado. He just got a, Indiana just signed into an extension for nine hundred, I think eight fifty, eight fifty. So he's gettable and affordable. I, 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 this is the kind of guy that they need. To, he needs Chip Kelly needs to go out of the box. You've sold to get. me, Ryan Walters. Everyone, start uh, start pounding the pavement. See, I'm almost afraid to do that because you know we always have that contrary element. Right. Now you've sold me. You've sold everyone. We're all okay. here. We're all together. They are third this year in points per drive allowed. Wow. At Illinois. At Illinois. At <laughs> Illinois. And and their recruiting is averaging like their recruiting classes are probably averaging like forty to sixty. I would. Yeah. Bet. Sorry. So Ryan Walters uh, should be the next DC. Just make it happen. Um, the other thing, so one thing I'd say about the, the Chip Kelly NIL thing is you could sense, especially by the end of the year, I think it was the USC presser uh, at the very tail end of it, he had some things where he was like, well, you know, uh, 
recruiting is all about what you can offer or whatever that is. But it was like a reference to NIL. And at the beginning of the year, he sounded like, well, we're not going to do that. By the end, I don't know if it was beginning to become a source of frustration for him. Um, so, you know, I think maybe the stars aligned a little bit there, too. It's one of those that. things where it all things come together and then someone like Chip Kelly gets used to the idea. Yeah. And then he has some people who I think he trusts at UCLA that are coming to him and saying over a period of time, and you've got to do this. Yeah. Well, um, I think you look at especially what USC did, right? With, yeah. you know, being able to acquire Jordan Addison, Caleb Williams, um, basically an all-star team of Pac-12 players, um, you know, in free agency. You want to be able to do that if it's legal. Um, and I think, you know, looking at that roster, you're probably like, wow, okay. Especially when you see it up close like Chip Kelly just had. So let's talk more about football recruiting. Uh, recruiting weekend coming up. Um, kind of, you know, it's kind of exciting. Uh, you know, we've always said that if they did better on the field, there'd be more interest. And there absolutely has been a bump in, in high school recruiting. It's not kind of what you might thought that four and five star guys would be calling them up. But there, there's definitely, definitely a bump. Uh, there is clearly more interest in, in UCLA. Also helps that Stanford has kind of hit its demise. <laughs> Ooh, boy did it Ooh. we got to talk a little bit i gotta just i just gotta let you talk about david shaw for a minute but <laughs> <laughs> this weekend uh stanford a uh, verbal well decommitted uh hunter clegg he's an edge uh ucla really liked him uh before he committed to utah has continued to recruit him he's uh he's from utah i'd say he's probably still leaning to Utah, he's also uh, uh, a mission guy, so it won't really matter to what twenty twenty five, right? Um, Isaiah Carlson, who an athlete, but they project him as a running back, kind of a big, beefy fullback type. CLA Asera, another edge, also from Utah. Uh, verbally committed to BYU, so that's just this weekend. Uh, more coming in next weekend. Well, I, I, there are going to be some surprise names, I think, also over the next couple of weeks when it comes to official visits. We will release them when we can. We don't want to blow any sources and we don't want to blow all of their, you know, the thunder for these kids. But um, so it, it's kind of exciting. Uh, I, I think they're going to be even... In the next few weeks before signing day, we'll see a few more. Like, they just flipped uh, the USC commitment. I, can you call that a flip? I'm calling it a flip because it annoys USC people. <laughs> I don't think it really does annoy them. I mean, in his interview, he actually even kind of said, they told me that maybe I should look elsewhere. Yeah, right? no, I mean, it was, I mean, uh, a guy being very frank about essentially being dropped. Um, and that's fine. You know, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, certainly I would say some movement in high school recruiting. I mean, I think from the dire straits UCLA was in coming out of the summer, right? Where we were th seriously thinking uh, they might not end up with double digit high school recruits this year. Uh, it's not going to be that. 
Like they're going to have, I mean, right now they have 11 hard commitments. They'll probably get another couple at least. Um, well, they have 12 because they have the transfer also. Yeah, I'm just talking about high school. Yeah. Uh, but right now they've got 11 high school. Um, We're talking and, about Grant Bucky, by the way. Right. The flip. Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking about? We didn't mention his name. I, we wanted oh, to oh, oh, oh. I thought, I thought you were, cl- actually I thought you were clarifying that to me, and I'm like, I'm on a Dave. roll, man. I'm on a roll here. Okay, uh, just roll. Gosh. They, have, they have two guys named Grant Hey, now. Dave, um, Dave got a haircut with that beard. Yep. Women are just falling <laughs> over walking by mm-hmm. him. Yeah, wow. yeah, absolutely. Um, so, anyway, they'll probably end up with something closer to, I don't know, 14? What do we think? What's our over-under on high school commitments at this point? Uh, yeah. They're at 11. I, I'd say they maybe get two to th- two to three more, so uh, 13 to 14. Yeah. Okay. Which well, we had projected 10. Yeah. So that's 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 borderline a real class. Um, and then, obviously, they're going to be heavy in the transfer portal. If you haven't read it already, um, read Tracy's story from this morning on the transfer recruiting targets. Um, and these line. are just the ones that are there's, known. There's two of them. There's ones point. that we know because they're already in the portal because they were previously in the portal and never came out. <clears throat> or they're grad transfers and they can go in the portal and you can openly recruit them. So we've listed a few that we know about. And then we actually did what everyone wants to hear. And that's projecting who we could see UCLA actually pursuing. Speculations. And I mean, it's based on some stuff. It's based on some stuff. Come on. Headliners there. Gary Bryant. We all remember Gary Bryant. Even even when UCLA was losing, Gary. How many big time? How many big chunk plays did he have against UCLA last year? Yeah. Four or five. Yeah. Yeah. We remember him. Uh, Byron Cardwell, running back from Oregon. I would hope uh, UCLA will be very involved with him. I anticipating that they will. Side note, this might be the biggest damper in this broadcast. If USC just gives him a call and says, we want you, he'll probably just immediately go, boom, I'm going to USC. Um, USC is now having the season that they had. You'd have to think just about the number one transfer destination in, in the country. Well, yeah, and it's just so many guys who grew up, their favorite player was Reggie Bush, even though he was, you know, they were one when he was playing. Yeah. Um, Gotta hate USC. Yeah. I mean, I I would... Is Jaden Ock going to stay at Cal? I would have to think he's I mean, a I good chance to go to the transfer portal, be- <laughs> and he's a good chance that he would call USC. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't stay running behind that offensive line if I could help it. David Bailey is the one that will just slay us, right? That would hurt. That would, be, that would really hurt. Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot that would really hurt, and the reality is if you looked at what... David Bailey, again, is the edge from Stanford, who yeah. has not said he's going into the transfer portal at all. But if he did and transferred to SC, we'd have to go drink. Have yeah, him. and if you look at what USC did last year in the portal, um, basically every good Pac-12 player who was entered into the transfer portal decided to go to USC. They got Stanford's best running back. They got Oregon's best running back. They got... Um, Colorado's best wide receiver. They got Washington, one of their top two receivers. Um, just And they got one of Colorado's two best cornerbacks. Um, they just basically went, okay, anybody who wants to come back home, come over here. The um, Pac-12 was kind of their minor league. 
Yeah, and it's just, you know, and then you're, you're watching it right now, and you're going to watch it tonight, is um, they lost Travis Dye, who was Oregon's best running back, and they replaced him with Austin Jones, who was Stanford's Stanford best running back. Um, so it's just, you know. That's the kind of thing, too, that they both went there. Yeah, yeah, they both decided to go. I mean, Terrell Bynum, who was, I don't know, top three receiver at Washington, something like that, he's like seventh on the depth chart at USC in his last year as a college player. And he was just like, yeah, that's fine. I'll go there. How many? Brendan Rice, um, who was a stud at Colorado, would have been their featured player on offense this year. Probably would have single-handedly won them maybe one more game. Um, he went to USC and is, I think, fifth in the rotation. Dave, this is depressing for our listeners. So I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, well, and I guess this is the 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 positive side of that. While USC is still going to recruit very well, no matter what. If UCLA gets in the NIL game, they will be competitive in some of these competitions for these players. Like they're, it's not going to be um, just a complete. Because um, I was looking at the transfer portal, Tracy, as starting to be like you know, the 2019 high school recruiting for UCLA, where it's like, yeah, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to scrape from the uh, bottom of the old barrel here because you know NIL has arrived and transfers are gonna want that money. If they're competitive, maybe they can still make a go of it in the transfer market, and especially with West Coast transfers who are looking to get back home. Like, I don't think it – if they're going to be competitive in NIL, it doesn't foreclose on the opportunity of getting another Zach Charbonnet in the transfer portal, which is what I was worried about, um, you know, as of three weeks ago. You mean like Ivy Leaguers or FCS guys who want to come out and spend their last <laughs> season? I'm not going to – let's not talk Let's not talk them down. UCLA got a commitment from Jake Heimlicker. Heimlicker. What a name. Heimlicker. Heimlicker. That's a great name. What a name. Um, he's an edge. He's from Penn. Aren't Six we all an edge? Six. What isn't an edge these days? <laughs> we're we're trying to standardize that because it's a position now. It's an edge. And I just don't want to write defensive end because edge is different. Anyway. Well, I don't want to write defensive end because people get angry at me because they're like, no, Chip Kelly calls it a linebacker. Exactly. Like, so yeah, that's yeah, why we're trying to avoid it by calling it an edge. But how often are they standing up, buddy? Um he committed this week, which is interesting from a depth chart standpoint of thus edges. Um, in that, uh, in that, that, in that, that, that they got some guys, and maybe some guys are, uh, maybe UCLA is anticipating, anticipating some guys leaving. I've tried to check into it, and there's no concrete information that anyone absolutely knows they're leaving. And how could they? Because they're going to have to get feedback from the NFL. And then they could still make a bad decision, but or a decision. Um, but UCLA, uh, you, you got to give them this. They've decided they over and under recruit certain positions. They are now over recruiting the edge position, right? Yep. And that's a good thing. Now, if they could just do that offensive line. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that'll be interesting. Oh, I've got a thought for you, Tracy. Throw it at me, Dave. Uh, Grant Bucky. Thoughts. Grant Bucky. Grant, okay. I'm not sure he's a defensive end or we, a defensive We've always done this, haven't we? I think he's an offensive tackle. Yeah. Thoughts, comments, concerns. Lay him out there. No, no, no. Um, you know, I'm I'm the guy that sees the six four to six five six six, two hundred and fifty pound defensive end, Tyler Manoa, yeah. and saw him in high school and project him to be a tackle. Um. Offensive tackle. So I'm I'm with you. Uh, 
but there's things that have always um, been uh, kind of speed bumps on toward that. And Tyler Manoa was a big example because he didn't do it until his uh, COVID year. It's coaches. There's so much. There's so much politics within any program about where a kid's going to play, whether he's playing at the position where the coach recruited him, uh, whether that coach will resist giving him up to another position, whether the kid wants to play there, where they need help, where they don't need help. There's just and whether the, I mean it really comes down to whether the kids it, the kids not really hard for a kid to go play at a position he doesn't want to play. So there's a lot um, that goes into it. And we've seen it um, prevent some players from moving positions over the years. I I agree with you about Grant Bucky. Um, I see just about anyone 6'4 to 6'6, 250 as a high school senior projected to be a, a offensive tackle if he's got good feet. Um, All right, I'm loving the agreement here, so I've got another yeah. one for you. Ready? Okay, do it, do it. How much better about him would you feel as a prospect if instead of Grant Bucky, he was Bucky Grant? That's a great name. I'm just saying. That's um, a name. That's, would I feel that is better a, about that is him? a name. I'd feel better about him as like a comic book star. Dude, Bucky Grant. Bucky Grant is an All-American. Wait, wasn't Bucky Captain America's sidekick? I think so. Yes. Yeah, that's why. But like Bucky as like a football player name, very good. Okay. Very good. Okay, so you not went many great, really not many, strong. On I guess my the point is not change. many great, not many great Grants. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some good Buckies. Um. So there, there's a lot of interesting things happening. I'm just gonna kind of touch on this one um there's a four-star cornerback and can we admit that ucla's cornerback recruiting could be better and just the personnel management you, you uh, mean could it exist yes yeah agreed uh there is uh a f- i think he's like top 120 in the country which means he's really good and i've watched him and on tape he, he's the one guy in this class that UCLA is recruiting that you watch on tape and you go, oh, oh yeah, him. Uh, wherever you want to play, son. <laughs> um, Jalen Braxton. Mm-hmm. Um, he's committed, verbally committed to Arkansas, but he is going to take an official visit to UCLA. His brother is Braylon Braxton, uh, quarterback at Tulsa. Now, we've been saying that we don't think UCLA would necessarily go after a younger quarterback uh, with multiple years transfer, uh, multiple years, because they don't kind of want to piss off not only Ethan Garbers, but Justin Martin. They really like Justin Martin, feel he's a a future star. Uh, If they're going to find a transfer quarterback, be more like a one-year-and-done kind of guy who could come in for next season – get out uh, in a year. Uh, and the younger guys, Garbers and and Martin, would probably still be a little pissed off, but not obviously not as much. Um, but it's intriguing. It's intriguing the little family family dynamic 
when the younger brother takes his official visit, if the transfer older brother quarterback is going to come with him, would UCLA take a package deal like that to not only boost, uh, well, first off, to get a really elite cornerback prospect, but then what to do with the brother and the reverberations of what happens with the quarterback depth chart. That is intriguing. And there's, so one name, and uh, I, I know you, uh, you, uh, you shot this down on the board, but in a very similar scenario, there is the, I'm going to butcher his last name, DJU, uh, the Clemson quarterback, who everyone speculates is going to be entering the transfer portal like yesterday. Uh, as a younger brother, who's a five-star edge uh, from St. John Bosco. Pull that up and <laughs> never going to happen. <laughs> younger brother, all about NIL, all about SEC, all about someplace else. Ne- so th- it would never have been a package deal. Family wants them to go together. So just there. not going to happen. And from what I hear, I mean, have you? did you watch DJ this year? I, 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 I am firmly... I don't think that would be a good idea. Not, I mean, with the talent around him, not very good. Correct. Justin Martin will be better next year, and he yeah. might not win UCLA's starting job. Yeah, uh, yeah, they won't. They won't touch that. They won't touch the dad. And uh, I shouldn't said the dad. Take that back. Edit that out, Dave. Uh, nope. The people around him will be demanding some money. Um, it's just, it's a situation. You, I don't think UCLA will touch. And I don't think they would ever be interested in UCLA anyway. So, pull. Pull. Yeah. Um, I did a better gun sound than you. Yours was an arrow. Um, <laughs> my, my arrow is more like a thoop. Okay. Okay. That's more of like um, that's more like a blowgun, actually. <laughs> I gotta work on this. You know when you go into um, Indiana Jones in in the ride at Disneyland, yeah. and they do the blowguns going by you. Uh huh. I love that part. It's really nice. It actually feels very refreshing, especially on a hot day. I, that's why. That's the exact reason. I'm leaning into all the blowguns. Yeah. No. <laughs> I would like more of the blowgun, please. Thank you. Yeah. I would like the ride to break right here, please. Thank you. <laughs> I uh, have. Okay. Sorry. I have been on Indiana Jones when it has broken down and we had to wait for like 15 minutes and we had to walk out it was really cool i bet it was it was so cool just to look around and go go through we went through like the back area to get out it's very cool oh notre dame's terrible quarterback is entering the transfer portal hmm hmm they're they're uh, they're one one phenomenon on our forum is anyone looks like he's well, he either enters the transfer portal or he tweets out he's going to enter the transfer portal starting Monday. Everyone, oh, we love him. Let's let's go out. I mean, there are guys, some people on our forum who, I mean, they couldn't sniff a starting spot at another school and they're saying, let's jump on. Just because he goes in the transfer portal doesn't mean he's good. Um, just keep that in mind. Uh, there'll be some selectivity here. And I'm anticipating this transfer portal season is going to be overwhelming with yeah. the bodies available. Overwhelming so, with bodies. So it's a marathon. Not a sprint. Yeah. Not a sprint. 
Do we have anything else, Tracy? I thought this was excellent, Dave. It was a top I mean, podcast. I don't think we have to do one for a few weeks. No, I think we should probably actually just give it a month. I, I, yeah. Maybe not come back. Maybe not come back ever. This might be the great one to send, to just end it all. This is it. This yep. is this is like a, the 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 farewell cruel world yeah. post that we get on the forum. Yeah. Goodbye, cruel bro. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruno Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time in like three months. See y'all, guys. <laughs>